0: This episode of the Restoration Today podcast is brought to you by One Tom Plumber. Hey, restoration company owners, do you want more commercial water damage jobs? Want to learn the easiest way to get them? Call One Tom Plumber at 855-TEAM-TOM. Again, that number is 855-TEAM-TOM. This episode is also sponsored by CoreLogic. From hazard and structure risk solutions to end-to-end claims and restoration job management software, CoreLogic and NextGear provide all the tools carriers and contractors need to exceed customer expectations through the entire supply chain. To learn more, visit corelogic.com slash restoration. Thanks so much to these sponsors and... Welcome to the episode. Hello there. Thanks for checking out this episode of the Restoration Today podcast. Today, I am excited to be joined by a fellow woman in the restoration industry. She is a newer friend who I had the opportunity to meet last fall at the Experience in Las Vegas. It is Caroline Victoria Tucker. She is um, an attorney with the law offices of Ed Cross and Associates, or Uncle Ed, or the Restoration Lawyer, or however you prefer to refer to Ed Cross. He has many names and nicknames. So anyway, I am very excited to have Caroline join me today and share a little bit of about her background, what it's been like as kind of a newer person stepping into restoration, kind of the pain points she's seeing in the industry, the opportunities, all of those things. So Caroline, thank you very much for joining me. So share a little bit about your background for those who haven't met you yet.
1: Yeah, I can do that. Thank you so much for having me on today, Michelle. Um so I was um I'm born and raised in, in Southern California. I, I grew up in Laguna Beach. I am I'm half Kiwi. Um, my dad is from New Zealand. So um half my family still lives there, but uh I'm still in Orange County, obviously. Um I am a, a proud Nittany Lion. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and I I'm married. I have three kids. I have an eight-year-old Luther, um, and then a five-year-old Lindsay, and a two-year-old Lacey. So all my kids are RLs. <laughs> Um, my husband's joke is, uh, he doesn't know who the L he's talking to. <laughs> <laughs> we have the same thing in our house. We have Levi and Luca. So that's something that we have in common. And it's like, Oh, just get over here. All, all the time. In fact, now my girls, we call them Lindsay Lacey and Lacey Lindsay, because it's just, we, we mess them up all the time. And it's, it's funny. I, I used to foster, Maltese dogs from a rescue. And anytime I had a chance to name a dog, I named it with an L name too. So there's something about me and L names.
0: <laughs> Same with me as well. But do you find that your kids, even if you're messing up their names, they know that you're talking to them. Even if you're saying the wrong name, they absolutely
1: know that. But then
0: they'll call you out on using the wrong name. So
1: I, I think now they know which wrong name goes to who. Yeah. Yeah. My son, I think it's a little bit less of it just being the only boy. I think that we mess up his name a little bit, but, um, I I have for sure gone through the girl's names first, then his name. And then, yeah. And he just is like, I think at this point now that he's eight, he just rolls his eyes at me, like get it together, mom. Yep.
0: My eight year old (laughs) feels the same way. I get a lot of eye rolls these days. Okay. So how did you end up, um, with the law offices of Ed Cross and associates? How did you end up there and how long have you been there now?
1: yeah so um so i've been an attorney for 14 years and it's so great now my my law practice is entirely dedicated to representing cleaning and restoration contractors um i um when i first met ed i just loved that the that the law practice was just in this like really small niche area i just thought that that was really cool um, after talking to Ed just for a little bit, you know, you can tell this is a place where advocacy is needed. Mm -hmm. Um, what I learned initially about RIA objectives and Ed's approach, it just, um, it really resonated with me and it just seems like, um, advocacy is needed and, and, you know, restoration contractors are, are wonderful companies to represent. They need a lot of help. And so I'm just happy to be here and lend my, Legal expertise to um, you know, championing, champion, champ, <laughs> championing, champ. Championing. It's a big championing. I'm not even direct their like, causes. So there we go.
0: <laughs> what was your specialty before joining this current law firm?
1: What 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 were you practicing? Um I have always been a civil litigator. Uh I have done historically I've done a lot of business and real estate and personal injury matters. Okay. All right. So, all right. So, you were recently
0: named to California's super lawyers list. So, what does that mean to be a super lawyer? And congrats for being a super lawyer because that's awesome.
1: Thank you. Yeah. No, it just
0: means that I wear a
1: cape to court. I like it. That'd be really (laughs) cool if you actually did. I mean, maybe not. I don't know. (laughs) No, it sounds. It sounds like lawyers who are superheroes, right? Super lawyer. Like I could just picture like someone in a suit flying into court. No, um, so super lawyers is an organization. They have this 12 step patented process where they, they, um, they review your practice area, your, some of your results, um, I know that it's mostly based on peer nominations as well. And so, for the first couple of years that I was um, a super lawyer, I was actually actually designated as what's called they call a rising star. And then uh, more recently, since I have more years of practice under my belt, I've been designated a super lawyer, which is, is super awesome. And I'm yeah very honored to be that. How many people reach that super lawyer status? So my understanding, based on the the data that they publish, is that only 2.5% of lawyers are selected to Rising Stars and 5% are selected to Super Lawyers. That's... Amazing. Well,
0: congrats. Okay. So talking about the restoration industry, I'm curious um, in the months that you've been in the industry, kind of the opportunities and challenges that you've seen. So let's start with the challenges. What are some of the challenges that you have seen, or obviously heard Ed talk about in the restoration industry, and then maybe morph those into what opportunities lie within those challenges?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the biggest challenge is kind of just the elephant in the room is just restoration companies getting paid, right? Like they got to get paid, and, and, and full. So yep. there's lots of issues with insurance companies not wanting to pay certain line items, cost of doing business, et cetera, the list goes on. Um, and so, you know, that has lent itself to, to using tools such as assignment of benefits. And so that presents a whole host of issues sometimes with insurance companies not wanting to recognize their validity. And um, there's lots of, um, you know, Pricing challenges, scope challenges, Um, you know, from what I've seen so far, you know, some restoration contractors struggle to be consistent and have, you know, implement consistent policies. And and sometimes that can lead to collection issues, legal issues, liability issues. And so it all is all interconnected. But I would say, you know, we we work a lot with restoration contractors to to get them the money that is rightfully owed to them.
0: So what are some of the opportunities that you see by having maybe attorneys like you and Ed and those who really understand the industry and aren't just, you know, there's a major difference between hiring an attorney that works with any industry and hiring an attorney that specifically understands the restoration industry. There's a ton of complexities here, a lot of different parties that are involved. So what are some of the opportunities that you feel like lie here um, for you as an attorney?
1: Yeah, I think that there's, one of the one of the things that is is kind of heating up and that really no other attorney knows about is is the assignment of benefit or assignment of benefits we also call it the assignment assignment of insurance rights um i was just told a couple weeks ago that um there are no other attorneys that really deal with them know about them know how to use them know how to draft them can argue against insurance companies when you're trying to assert these rights and so that's that's a big area um we also have very specific um you know it's about exactimate i mean i yes most lawyers wouldn't even know what that is um a lot of lawyers even if they know how to uh foreclose on, on a mechanic's lien they might not know exactimate aob's or um any sort of restoration like what a, what a cat one, two, three losses i mean there's there's so many <laughs> So many levels of complexity as you said there's you, there's the you know the triangular relationship you have the restoration contractor who contracts with the you know the property owner and then there's the insurance company that's involved and there's this little triangle of of dynamics and communication and um i don't think any attorney uh who can you know who who could litigate in general would, would appreciate, understand the level of sophistication that a restoration contractor needs to have to navigate the, the sometimes treacherous waters to, to performing their job at the, at the level that they, that they do.
0: Yes. Yeah, I totally agree. Okay. So you just gave me a great segue into talking about communication. This is something that I've found. I think contractors at this point, Have grown pretty frustrated with relationships with adjusters and carriers and TPAs and the different parties that are involved in trying to get paid. And it's like we're just trying to get the property restored. We don't. They're losing. I just had somebody write an article about going back to the fundamentals of relationships and walking through communicating and educating people and bringing back some of that patience into the fold so that you can educate these other parties on how the processes really are. So also at the experience, you and Ed did an amazing keynote related to communication people who are listening to this, you can go to the CNR YouTube channel and see certain parts of that. It was great. There were costume changes and uh, characters and, and being a little crazy. It was a lot of fun. So I talk a little bit about communication and how important that is um, to even like avoid getting to the litigation step of trying to get paid or get a claim resolved.
1: Yeah. God, there's uh, communication is like a whole like topic in and of itself, yes. a whole lot like a whole expert you know level, um. But communication, just for purposes of of especially you know your your customer restoration kind con- uh, contractors customer, it's just essential to stay on the same page. Because when parties stop being on the same page, the disputes are, are more likely more likely to happen. And so you have to sit your customer down, explain to them the process, explain to them that you work for them. You don't work for the insurance company. The insurance company works for you. Um, insurance company might, you know, try to do a, a couple of things to undermine our relationship, or they might say some things that might leave you frustrated and that's and you know, they're bottom line is to save money my bottom line or my my main objective i should say is is to restore your home and and to you know put you back in a position that you were before this loss and so there are competing objectives of the parties and it's so important that everyone kind of knows what this triangle relationship looks like stays on the same page and that you know no one assumes um what the other person's thinking, um, you know, everyone has to make sure that they're listening to, to actually listen and not to respond. I mean, things can get tense, um, especially when you have, um, you know, any sort of adversarial, like t- type communications that adjuster or anything like that. So it's just so important that the parties don't withhold it, you know, with don't withhold information that should be shared, you know, should be open and honest, should, should not delay any sort of difficult communication or put off anything. You know, they just kind of have to restoration contractors have to like be so skilled in that area and kind of stay ahead of stay you know, steps ahead of everybody else and kind of anticipate where, you know, issues might arise and then, you know, figure out how to communicate that ahead of time to try to, to not, you know, to to, to successfully deal with any issue that does come up or to avoid it. So it's, it's very complex. It's, I mean, before I was, you know, uh, a lawyer for restoration contractors, I had no idea the amount of sophistication and complexity involved in the relationships. And it's actually mind blowing how, how much a restoration contractor needs to know uh, just to outside of just actually restoring a building after some sort of loss.
0: So what is the first step and you don't have to give legal advice here, but what is the first step when you get a contractor who reaches out to you and they're like, "All right, communication is broken down with an adjuster. Either they're saying we don't pay O&P or they just are like, "Nope, we're not paying your invoice at all." What or cut it in half. That happens a lot. What is kind of the first step when you get an email or communication like that from a contractor who's like one oh, now what?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um so we always take a look at what are they specifically arguing you know like it's typically a, a couple of line items um if it yeah if it's omp we, we always want to make sure that if they're trying to exclude something that there's a valid basis for that so mm-hmm. that's like one of our first steps we also want to know you know what the price of everything that's being excluded is, what the cost is, you know, what is the, what is the homeowner's position? Are they in a position to pay? Uh, Unfortunately, restoration contractors have to evaluate, okay, well, if there are further problems, you know, which route do I go if I have to pursue more legal action? Do I, Pursue it against the customer or against, you know, if they have an assignment of insurance rights against the insurance company. You know, how much negotiation should we do? Um, So we just kind of, a lot of the times we just advise them of of their options, right? Like these are the things that you can do, and um, and and that's kind of our first step is just you know figuring out kind of the basic facts uh, if they have an an assignment of insurance rights. things like that. Okay. All right. So what are some of your goals now that you're here?
0: What would you like to, how would you like to impact the industry? What effect do you hope that your practice is going to have when it comes to restoration contractors and their pain points?
1: Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I've, I've kind of really jumped in with two feet, you know, I've joined this movement that, that Ed's, you know, helping lead with the AGA and RRA. And, you know, we want to, to take strategic legal action in whatever area we, we think that that will be most fruitful to, to move the needle in favor of restoration contractors, you know, to help the industry, um, flip the script, you know, start playing by their own rules, stop playing by others' rules. Um, you know, to take collective conservative action to change the things um, that are just not serving restoration contractors anymore. And so there's only so much that legal can do, you know, um, but we we would love to be able to to set precedent, you know, wherever possible in, in legal cases. Um, I know Ed's worked really hard in the past on some bad faith cases and breach of contract cases, and he works really hard to get um just things moving in the right direction uh to kind of roll back what's kind of happened in the last few years with it just being a little bit more difficult to get paid insurance companies being a little harder to deal with and and to kind of get to a place where restoration contractors don't have to work so darn hard outside of actually just doing the restoration job outside of actually working hard yes yes Totally agree. I'm curious,
0: kind of your early impressions of the RIA's AGA, which is the Advocacy and Government Affairs Committee, for those who are listening. It really has become a big movement over the last few, last few years. Thanks a lot to Ed and a lot of um, other industry leaders. So what are kind of your first impressions? Have you ever seen something like this in other industries you've worked in? I'm just curious your first impressions of it
1: yeah it was kind of all new to me. I haven't really been involved with any sort of industry association um and I think it's really awesome that there's this whole you know you know advocacy wing to it and I think I think it's so needed. not every industry needs such strong advocacy because you're you're up against insurance companies they have a lot of money they have a lot of influence and you, the restoration industry needs to band together. And like I said before, take kind of collective action that's strategic and of course legal and, and to, to do what they can to, to, you know, um, I guess fight this, you know, fight the insurance giant, maybe <laughs> that's yep. way the to, way to put it. But, um, but yeah, it's so important to have restoration contractors get, um, uh, on the same page as far as, you know, industry terms, um, you know, the possible options for technology, you know, all of the, the the different ways that restoration contractors have been successful, it's important to share that and to advocate for each other and to, of course, on the legal side, take whatever steps you can. I know with that uh, the, the uh, RIA did, um, you know, a great job helping, uh, restoration contractors learn more about assignment of benefits and all the collections tools that are available to them because, um, the restoration contractors need them, you know?
0: Yes, that's absolutely
1: true. So what does your show circuit look like this year?
0: Especially, I guess the first half of the year, where are you going to be? Where can people get a chance to maybe meet you in person?
1: Yeah. Um, I love, I love talking to restoration contractors. Like when I have, you know, I'm assigned to call one. It's it's great. I just love it. Um, I'm gonna be um in uh, Florida for RIA. Yes. Um, in April, mm-hmm. and then even earlier than that, in March on the fifteenth, I will be at the RIA event at ATI here in Anaheim, California. Um, February, I I February fifteenth? February fifteenth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Keep going. I believe Ed is going to be at the experience in Florida as well this year. And then I will, I don't, I can't recall if I'm going to that one or not personally, but then I will also be at the experience in Las Vegas, just like last year, which was so much fun. Um, It's like that
0: fire, right? Being with Ed who Ed knows everybody. So I'm sure you're like, were you exhausted by the time you left the show? That's usually how I am. Like it's so much emotional energy to meet that many people.
1: Yeah. I mean, I love networking. I uh, okay. love it. So, so that aspect of it was really energizing for me. Um, you know, I had to keep up with Ed and his gigantic inseam. So I was walking real fast <laughs> the entire time for days and days. Um, so physically, yeah, yeah I was pretty tired. Um, And, you know, and mentally a little as well, just because I was up on stage with Ed, you know, for the first time he, he graciously allowed me to, to share the stage with him and co-present on our, in his keynote. And so that was amazing. I did, you know, breathe a little sigh of relief once that was done and kind of was able to relax and just kind of go meet and greet and get to know everybody. Um, there was a, we had a booth at the experience and, um, you know, I was able to, to talk to people and um, help them select the best contract package or book that would, you know, suit their legal needs. And, and that was really fun. And there was a lot of, a lot of energy and excitement at the experience, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot to keep up with that. He has endless energy. I don't know how he does it, Um, (laughs) you know, but working with him is so great. His, his passion for this industry is just inspiring. It's just, unmatched really. I don't, I don't know how, (laughs) I don't know how he does it, but he does it. Like he's just driven from within. He's like this internal motor for it. Like there's no deterring him, stopping him. Like he is full steam ahead a hundred percent of the time. And he just, he really loves his clients and appreciates everyone and their contributions and and the RA and AGA and all of that.
0: Any fun Ed stories so far before we wrap it up? I mean, I know that there's been industry, parties at his house ed is just so well known and loved in the industry and i think appreciated and dynamic and all the things so any fun stories before we wrap it up
1: yeah so i mean within the first two weeks that i started working for him i was able to co-author an article for cnr magazine yes and i as i mentioned before he had me up on stage at uh the at the experience in las vegas um you know ed's a showman and we we apparently put on a good show because after our our keynote, uh, people came up to us and said several people came up to us, not just one or two, like at least like five to ten, I would say, came up and said we loved your show, you know. And <laughs> it people really say good. that, yeah, thank you. I mean, entertaining, right? I mean, it was, was Dr. Dr. Kraus, and he was also Homer the homeowner, and I got to wear a hard hat and. You know that was really fun it was it wasn't your garden variety uh like keynote by a lawyer right it was it was extra special that way Uh and isn't also you know,
0: boa constrictor sorry I did not mean
1: to interrupt you isn't that what yes, that's yes yes we were we were looking for that darn boa constrictor um but yeah I mean I I had you know Ed's a showman and he has you know this you know you know big persona and he likes he likes to have his his um wardrobe on point. And so, you know, I was trying to match that. And I think I had like three wardrobe changes each day. I had like the (laughs) biggest piece of luggage that I've ever flown with for like a three day trip, but it was great. It was a lot of fun. And, you know, I'm really uh, appreciative um, that he let me share the stage with him and, (laughs) you know, co-present because communication is so important. I mean, as a lawyer too, as you can probably imagine, like our words are our trade, So, you know, anytime we can work on it as well, it's good. It's not, it's not just a restoration industry specific thing. Although, you know, it does, it does uh, play a big, big role in uh, the restoration industry.
0: It does. For anybody listening, again, you can find snippets of the keynote on the CNR uh, YouTube page, or you can go to the CNR website and find an article related to it that Caroline and Ed co-wrote, and there's a link to the video in there. So if you look up either of their names on the CNR website, you will find it. Okay. Anything else to add before we wrap it up? I think I'm good. Just thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for being here. I look forward to seeing you at least at RA in April, if not
1: sooner. Absolutely. Yeah. And I hope, you know, maybe one day I'll have some sort of legal update or some precedent to share and I can come back on and let everybody know what we've been working on. That would be really
0: fun. Thanks, Caroline.
1: All right. Thanks. For more Restoration Today and the latest news, visit our website, cnrmagazine.com and find the latest episodes of the Restoration Today podcast on your favorite podcasting platform.